All right, welcome everybody. Welcome to Tax Mama's Place. This is the home of the tax nerd. And so many of you are so intently passionate about your tax practice and about learning so much. And once you get into it, it just gets so, so compelling and so fascinating that you really find yourself addicted. Our topic today is everything you ever wanted to know about the EA exam but didn't know who to ask. And this is all about the exam that will take place starting in May of this year and ending in February of next year. And I'm going to give you all kinds of great information about that and lots of other things. For instance, it's Women's History Month. And of course, being a woman, I kind of like the idea of celebrating women. We have so many good accomplishments, including a whole bunch of women who are wonderful tax professionals and EAs and lots of guys, too. I think, do we have a Guys History Month? I don't know that we do. The other thing that we have this week is a very, very special holiday, and this has nothing to do with the exam, but it is my absolutely favorite holiday. It's called Purim, and this is like the reverse of Halloween. This is where kids get dressed up in costume and they take treats to people instead of banging on the door and offering tricks if they don't get a treat. So if you're interested, this is the happiest, most fun festival on the Jewish calendar, and you don't have to be Jewish to enjoy it. So Today, we have all of these things going on. We're going to talk about what is an enrolled agent, who qualifies for the exam, how to register, and all kinds of things that you need to know so that you can take the exam, pass it, and become the consummate tax professional. So first of all, what is an enrolled agent? Well, IRS says that we are the highest credential that the IRS awards to any tax professionals. And the IRS staff, when we're dealing with audits and collections, actually thinks very highly of EAs. In fact, one entire firm of attorneys contacted me to have me help them pass the EA exam a couple of years ago. There were about 30 attorneys because they find that if they go into the IRS to do representation as attorneys, the IRS has a different attitude and is a little bit um, they're a little bit more standoffish and less trusting when an attorney comes in. They think there's some criminal activity if they need an attorney than if an EA comes in. And so all of these attorneys decided they wanted to become EAs and put that on their power of attorney instead of the attorney code. I thought that was a very interesting strategy. So attorneys, uh, CPAs, and enrolled agents are governed by something called Circular 230, which is a treasury publication. And that's where all of the rules for practice, ethics, representation, the fundamental rules are in there. And 
if you're going to be a tax practitioner, that's what EAs, CPAs, and attorneys are called, you need to get very familiar with Circular 230, and that's the heart of Part 3 of the exam. But we'll go into more detail on that. So who qualifies to, to sit for the exam? Unlike CPAs and attorneys, you don't actually have to have a college degree of any kind. You just have to know a lot about tax. What's the minimum age? It's 18. They didn't used to have a minimum age, but when they uh, put the P10 system together, they set up 18 as a minimum age. There's another funny story, but you'll have to ask me in class one day. What kind of citizenship? Well, you don't need to be a U.S. citizen. You don't have to have a green card. It helps to have a social security number. But even without that, we have people all over the planet who can become enrolled agents without being U.S. citizens or green card holders. And as a result, you might find that the exam is offered in several countries around the world. But more importantly, you have to be in compliance. And what does compliance mean? It means if you want to become an enrolled agent, whatever other crimes you might have committed, you had to have filed all of your required tax returns for all of the years, and you had to have paid all of your taxes. And that means your personal income taxes, your business taxes, payroll taxes, and everything else. Now, we've had some people who weren't quite up to date and needed to catch up before they could apply to become EAs. And we did manage to persuade the IRS to grant them the EA credential after we got them into compliance. So if you're wondering, you know, can you ever become an EA if you've sinned, uh, there is a potential that you can. But fundamentally, before you even get started, you need to have a PTIN, a professional tax ID number. So let's talk about what that is. First of all, if you are a paid preparer anywhere in the U.S. and are filing federal tax returns, you have to have a PTIN. In addition, if you're going to sit for the EA exam, you need to have the PTIN because that's going to be the underlying tracking for your EA results, your exam results. So you won't even be able to schedule an exam date unless you already have a PTIN. So if you don't already have one or if you're outside the country, it is important to get that application started right away. If you can, you can sign up and do it in minutes online. Make sure that when you do that, if you got married or changed your name, use the same exact name that's on your social security card. So if you didn't change your social security card, doesn't matter what else you call yourself, whatever's on your driver's license, you need to have the name that matches your social security card. You can also do it on paper, but if you mail it in or fax it in, it could take forever to get that application in. So you definitely want to sign up online. There is a toll-free phone number if you need help. There is a fee. 
It started last year and it is now $35.95 per year to get your PTIN. And the PTIN year goes from January to December. So if you've had one in the past, you still have to renew it every single year. $35.95 isn't very much. Just log in and follow the instructions. One of the benefits that you get with being with having the P10 is that the IRS has a tax preparer database, and the only professionals that are included in that database are EAs, CPAs, attorneys, and people with P10s. So you have to have the P10, but more than that, there is one other thing that will get you in the database. So just having the P10 will not get you into that prepare database. You also have to have an annual filing season program record of completion to be in that database. So pure P10 holders aren't going to be in there. And I'll explain to you what that AFSP is in a couple of moments. But once you're in the P10 database, when you log in, you'll be able to see all of your continuing education credits. They're going to show up over there. And if you're doing more than 50 tax returns, those are also going to show up in your P10 database. And so you can check to make sure only your clients are showing up in there and nobody has stolen your identity and is using your P10 to file other tax returns. Uh, we've had issues with that in the past. Very often the issue turns out to be somebody transposed their P10 number and it wasn't identity theft. IRS will work with you on that. Now, I want to show you the preparer statistics. I don't know if you realize there are 705,000 people with PTINs. It's down from about a million eight when they first started, but basically we are down to now 705,000 whoops, and it likes to do that. It really does when I get close to the top. If you look at that, 25,000 are attorneys, 194,000, almost 195,000 people with PTINs are CPAs. There are a very small number of enrolled actuaries and the IRS isn't giving the exams for the enrolled actuaries or enrolled retirement plan agents. EAs are only 56,000. And what do we have here? 57,000 people who have that annual filing season record of completion, which I'm going to tell you about. But what this means is 370,000 people with PTINs are not EAs, CPAs, attorneys, or have the annual filing season program record of completion. It is my mission in life to take those 370,000 tax preparers and turn them into EAs so that you have more rights, more authority, and can do so much more to help your clients. So that is our goal in life currently. We want everybody who is preparing tax returns who isn't already a licensed tax professional of some kind to basically become EAs.
So let me give you a tiny bit of history, and I'm going to tell you why I'm giving you this history. A few years back, the IRS decided that since most states in the country have absolutely no minimum requirements for somebody to be a tax preparer, that the IRS would require a certain minimum amount of education and training and testing. What do I mean by nobody has any requirements? California, Oregon, and Maryland have actual requirements for licensing, testing, and continuing education. New York has some additional requirements, but they don't rise to the level of licensing testing. Continuing education, yes. All of the other states, and I think there are, what, 46 more states, a few territories, District of Columbia and so forth, nothing, nothing. So an immigrant who doesn't speak any English, knows nothing about taxes, can sit down and open a tax shop anywhere in the country and do tax returns, even if they don't know the first thing about U.S. tax law. So that was why the IRS set up this mandatory registration with a test and continue education requirements. And a few people decided it was just too expensive and too much trouble to do the continuing education. And so the case was loving versus the IRS. And the IRS did a really poor job of presenting their case. And the loving folks pointed out that there is nowhere in the body of U.S. law that gives the IRS the right to mandate and control licensing for tax preparers. So the IRS lost the lawsuit and they didn't appeal. Now, why am I telling you all about this ancient history? I'm telling you that because those people got rewarded. Those people who took those RTRP exams still have special privileges and Circular 230 hasn't been updated since 2014. And so it still talks about RTRPs. And I'm going to explain to you what special privileges these people have as we go into the reduced requirements for the annual filing season program. Now, since the IRS couldn't mandate that you had to have experience and training, they created a voluntary program, and it's called the Annual Filing Season Program, familiarly known as the AFSP, and it provides a record of completion. So you can see my record of completion over here, or Tax Mama Student. So that's what it looks like. You get a new one every single year, and you can frame it and put it on your wallet. It doesn't mean a lot, but it does give you some benefits. One of the benefits is to have your listing in that IRS preparer database. And the other is it lets you work with clients whose tax returns you prepared on the audit level with the IRS. Without this AFSP, 307,000 tax preparers cannot 
talk to the IRS about the tax returns they prepared, even if the client checks that little box saying they're giving them authority, that check the box authority does not extend to them. So 57,000 people have participated in this program. And that's why we don't have 400,000 people who are sitting out there without any credentials. We have only 370,000. Now you can get this AFSP two ways. You can do the all of the work or you can meet the reduced requirements. So the reduced requirements, the main requirements basically mean that you have to take 18 hours of continuing education every year. One of those classes that you have to take is a six hour federal tax update class that you have to take every single year and you have to answer and pass 100 questions on the exam that goes with this class every single year. I don't know, do you really want to take a test every single year? In addition, you still have to take another 12 hours of continuing education, two hours of ethics, and 10 hours of federal tax courses. An EA doesn't have to do this stuff. We have to take continuing education and ethics, but we don't have to do another test once we get our EA credential. Now, the reduced requirements are applying to people like the former RTRPs, people who passed the first part of the EA exam, people who have California, Maryland, or Oregon licenses, or certain, certain other kinds of licenses, and people who are VITA volunteers. And you can thank our Susan Holtgrief for getting that into the program. We'll tell you a little bit more about what else she's done with us. Um, people who volunteer for VITA have to have some special training and they do some internal testing. And so they don't have to take that whole six hour federal tax update course and they don't have to do the annual 100 question exam. All they have to do is 15 hours of continuing education of which two hours are ethics, three hours of federal tax updates and 10 hours of federal tax courses in general. Now, a word from me from good old tax mama, we get you all of that stuff. People in our class will have all of the 15 hours that you need, including the three-hour federal tax update. So if you register now, you'll still get our early bird discount for the class up through March 31st. We're going to be starting our live classes on May 3rd, and our classes are going to meet on Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday all the way through October, through the beginning of October. So it's going to take an investment of your entire summer. If you're already a paid Tax Mama family member, you can get an additional 10% discount all year. 15% discount will be available until March 31st. One more bit of news is if 
you want to sign up with more people, there's a volume discount if you sign up with two or more people at the same time. And depending on how many more, it could be up to 30% discount in addition to the early bird discount and the special discount that we're going to give you later on today. When you do that, just make sure in the comment box, you include the name and address and email address of every additional person you're signing up with at the same time. I mentioned there's a special $100 discount. This is my bribe to you. I'm going to give you $100 if you stay with me to the end of this presentation today and you want to sign up, you'll get a $100 discount at the end of our session today. It's not in the handouts. The code is not in the handouts. So let's get ready to register for the EA exam. What do you need to do? Well, you need to set up your Prometric account. And before you can do that, remember, you had to have what? You had to have your PTIN. Sign up online. There is a paper form, just like there is for the PTIN, but heaven help you if you do anything on paper these days, especially with COVID. It's much faster to sign up online. The name you use has to match the name on your PTIN account. Your social security has to match, and it helps if your address matches your PTIN account. So the goal for you today is I want you, if you haven't already done it, just set up your Prometric account today if you already have your PTIN. It's free to set up the account. You don't have to schedule any classes. Just set up the account. Make sure it's working. There's one other thing that I would like you to understand is normally I tell you not to schedule your exam until you know you're going to be ready. So when you know about 30 days ahead of time that you're going to be ready to sit for the exam, that's when I normally recommend that you schedule it. However, because of COVID, and it turns out that a lot of these Prometric centers are franchises, they're not actually owned by the company, We've been hearing of a lot of cancellations. So people who have confirmed reservations, drive all the way out there, you know, 100 miles away, get into their hotel room, find out their exam has been canceled. So one of the reasons is, of course, because people working there have gotten sick. And so they cancel at the last minute. The other is they need a special IRS trained proctor to be there when you sit for the exam. And if that person isn't available, you know, you don't get to take it. So that's why I say normally I tell you not to schedule until about 30 days in advance. But these days it may be necessary to schedule sooner because with the distancing, the facility can only seat about half the people that they can normally uh, seat. And they don't just do the EA exam. They do exams for the CPAs, fire department, police department, various other health workers, uh, programmers, and a whole bunch of other things. Um, they do all kinds of, they do hundreds of other exams. So the space fills up quickly. Okay. So if your area starts filling up, you may need to set your schedule way ahead of time and then know that you're going to have to prepare to be ready by that time. 
Ling says for the live sessions, Tuesday and Thursday, we meet from 4 to 6 p.m. or 7 p.m. Pacific time and Saturday from 8 a.m. to noon Pacific time. And everything is recorded. So stay with me. I've already got the answers to your questions. So let me repeat, when we finish today's seminar, log in at Prometric, go to prometric.com slash IRS, set up your account with them today and just get this done. Now, the application for the EA exam, it's inside your Prometric account. So you're not going to need to use the paper, exam, paper application, but this is what it asks you. Pretty much that's it. Name, location, primary phone number, date of birth, and your PTIN. It's not a complicated form. Just log in and make sure that your name matches your PTIN, which matches your social security account, because that's what you're going to need in order to set up your account and to sit for the Prometric exam. Now, by the way, when you do go to the exam, you need identification that matches the name that you're using. So if you got married and have a new driver's license, you need to get some other identification that still shows the correct name that matches the account. I always recommend professionals, especially tax professionals who get married, change your name for social purposes, but keep the driver's license, social security and everything else. Keep it under the original name so you don't have to change the information in about 10 different IRS databases and other licensing business cards and everything else. Now, how do you schedule the exam? Well, you go to prometric.com slash IRS, which is the easiest, or you can call them at this 800 number. They are available from 8 a.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern time. Review your email confirmation that they send you. Make sure it's accurate. Make sure you don't have any typos. And if you find any inaccuracies, notify Prometric right away. So we have two phone numbers, the 800 phone number. And for people who are outside of the country, we have that 443 phone number. They have a fax number, heaven help you to see if anyone actually answers it, but you can try getting in touch with them by fax and not sitting on hold waiting. The, waiting to get them to answer the phone is even worse than the IRS. Chastity wants to know if the recording will be available. Absolutely. It'll be available about an hour after we are done. And Mark is summarizing our notes. So thank you very much, Mark. How do you pay for the exam? You pay when you schedule the exam, not when you set up the Prometric account. They only take MasterCard, Visa, American Express, and electronic checks. They no longer accept money orders, paper checks, and certainly not cash. The cost is $185 per exam, but the IRS just increased the fee. Effective March 31st, the fee is going up to $204. The fee is not refundable. So 
once you schedule the exam, you're either going to take it or you're going to reschedule it within 30 days in order to use the fee. If you reschedule in six days or more, you'll have to pay a rescheduling fee within five days before your exam date. You get nothing. So you might as well just show up and take the exam if you know, you're not feeling all that well or you don't think you're prepared, don't go in if you're really sick. You don't want to share that with anyone. But if you're not prepared, you might as well go and take it because you're not getting your money back. And Jacqueline says she made that mistake and lost her money when she scheduled the exam. If you have any problems, notify Prometric. By the way, because they cancel, they cancel on you, uh, they are required to give you a new date and not have you pay. One of our students was faced with that. It was really awful. She really did drive uh, a couple of hundred miles, went to a hotel. They canceled her, you know, for the next morning and they were going to give her a refund less their rescheduling fee. And I'm you know, telling the IRS, you can't do that to her. It's their fault. In fact, they should pay her for the inconvenience, you know, billable time, wasted billable time round trip. So, you know, that's one of the things that I do is I've really uh, become very much of an annoyance to the IRS when Prometric does those things. And I really am a nuisance, but I get things done. So registering and scheduling, if my students have excessive problems, you tell me the specific information. I need to know your exam location, the site, whatever the issues happened, and then I will, I will fight for you. And honest to goodness, honest to goodness, I do bug the IRS. We used to have a really terrific guy with us. We used to have a really terrific guy working with us. And it's interesting. Oh, we used to have a really terrific guy working with us at the IRS, but he retired last July and he is gone. So now I asked Carol Campbell, I copied her on a million emails to please assign somebody. And she refused, basically. She says, not going to happen. And I made enough of a nuisance of myself trying to get answers for my students, for everybody, because when I have general answers like that, I post it for everybody to, to get the benefit of it, uh, that I actually have a contact inside IRS that I can now bother again. I know that she probably doesn't want me to be doing that, but really, um, I will keep bugging and I will include the commissioner in my emails if I have to, because I really think that Becoming an EA is important, especially with the IRS not answering phones for the public. They answered about 11% of their phone calls last year, according to Aaron, Aaron uh, the, who is a taxpayer advocate. And EAs, tax professionals who know what they're doing, can go into the databases and transcripts. And they, taxpayers don't need to try to reach the IRS when they're working with somebody like us who knows how to game the system and how to use the system. So I think the existence of EAs is very important to the IRS. 
they need to treat us well and get us licensed. So do you already have your P10? Let's do a polling question. And we're kind of doing this because um, this is like an example of what you're going to see when we're taking live classes. And whoops. That's interesting. Yeah, there we go. Oh, well. Do you have your Prometric account? Let's rephrase that. There we go. Do you have your Prometric account? And so uh, when we have our live classes, we will be doing polls for a two-hour class. We will have eight polls so that we can get you the continued education in the live class. And normally in the live class, there's no continued education today, but normally in the live class, we try to make sure everybody participates. And so let's just go ahead and we are going to share the results. About 44% of you say yes, 31 no, but 24% say that you are doing it today. So please, please do take care of that today if you do nothing else before the day is out. The online system works even when their phone system is down. So what about people who have disabilities? People who have disabilities um, basically still want to take the exam. So if you have issues and you're going to need a wheelchair, you're going to need um, you're going to need air, you're going to need anything special besides paper and pencil that they give you, because they won't let you take anything in, they certainly won't let you take any hearing aid, you need to call Prometric prior to scheduling your appointment. So call this other special phone number, this 800-967-1139 phone number, and this you need to call between 8 a.m. and 6 p.m. Eastern, not 9 p.m. during the week. And this one, you want to schedule your exam almost immediately and then commit to yourself that you're going to study for the exam because they have very limited space to accommodate people with disabilities. You're going to end up in a special separate area, not with everyone else. So if you have any kind of disabilities that will not make it possible for you to sit in the main room with just the paper and pencil that they give you, you want to make sure to make an arrangement to schedule an appointment with them as soon as you can. Obviously, the exam doesn't start until May 1st, and we're going to talk more about how that works. Now, first of all, speaking of when the exam starts, it starts on May 1st of 2022, and it's going to run until February 8th, 28th, 2023. On leap years, it will go to February 29th. How often can you take the exam? You can take every part of the exam. There are three parts. You can take each of them four times during this 10-month period. All right. You don't want to because you have to pay the fee every time. But if you don't pass, don't worry about it. Those of us who are old timers, when we took the exam with the IRS, they offered it once a year. 
That's it. And it was four exams. And it was in September, or October of every year. And we had to go there in person into some large conference, you know, convention hall or something. We would sit for the exam for two days because there were four exams, two half day exams. And then we wouldn't get the results until March of the following year. And then if we didn't pass, we had to wait until the following year to take the exam again. So um, you guys get to retake the exam. If you fail, you'll know almost immediately and you'll get to retake the exam uh, within a couple of days if you want to. And you get to retake it four times. You don't have to wait a whole year before you retake it. Where can you do this? Well, there are major metropolitan areas all over the U.S. There are some locations outside the U.S., but Prometric has basically eliminated most of the international locations for the EA exam because of the requirement that there be an IRS-trained proctor. They are open. Most of them are open Saturdays, some on Sundays and evenings. The exam is three and a half hours, and I will give you more details exactly about how that works. And I've given you the phone number a couple of times, but there is a phone number that they don't publish. So you want to save this page, 800-853-6769. If you have problems, you might try to call that phone number that they don't tell anyone about. It used to be their problem number, and I think it still works. Is there something missing? If anything's missing, you want to get hold of them and get in touch with them. Speaking of locations, they literally have them around the globe, and uh, they have it in alphabetical order. I just posted the Canada locations because in Canada, we have a number of students who are taking the exam there. They have a list of closed locations and you can search by country and you can look at the list. What I did was I searched under closure date. What I did was I searched the list. Hang on. There we go. Um, I searched the list by clicking on closure so I know the dates that are involved. And what we're concerned with is we're concerned with dates starting after uh, May 1st for the exam. But some of these locations are closing earlier and they won't be open in your area during that time. And the one on the bottom that I've circled, I think is so bizarre. Look at that. They've got Kiev in the Ukraine that they're closing on May 28th. I can't even believe it's open right now. So basically what happens is if you have a location near you that is closed, you're going to have to find another place. And sometimes you may have to go as far as another state. So let me answer the questions. So Jacqueline wants to know if uh, You signed up last year. What should we do to be part of the program? Just show up. I mean, Jacqueline, just show up. You're getting the emails, show up for the live classes, log into the board. Everything's there. You don't even have to ask. Uh, Ling says, does Prometric offer tests daily? Yes. 
as I said, um, Monday through Friday, most locations work on Saturday, some of them also on Sunday. So you have a lot of opportunities and some of them um, in the evening. Ling says, since you can retake in a couple of days, that means any day we can take. Basically, the guidelines say that once you fail an exam, you should wait about two days before you retake it. So I think they make you wait 40 hours, 48 hours. But you're not going to fail. So don't worry about it. Seriously, why should you fail? I think you should pass. The other thing that's very important, I talked about the fact that you need to have, you know, an ID and it has to match your appearance. And I'm not being facetious. So people who have major weight loss, sex change operations, or anything major in appearance, make sure that your ID actually looks like you. So, you know, if you look different, get a new driver's license or get a new picture ID so that you actually look on your on your ID the way that you do now. Okay. We've had people turned away because one guy had lost about 150 pounds and completely looked different than he did on the license. So please take a look, look in the mirror. I know not everyone likes to look in the mirror. I don't and make sure that you look like your ID. Okay, so what does the exam cover? For the exam for this testing season, it covers the Internal Revenue Code and all of the publications, amendments, uh, revenue procedures, and so forth, and all of the laws that were passed up through December 31st, 2021. So up through December 31st, 2021, any law that was passed after that is not going to be on the exam, especially since, especially since they've already created the exam. And so if Congress goes and passes another law and changes something retroactively like they did last year, um, it's not going to be on the exam. And, you know, I try to make sure that I clarify for my students what the current law is and if that's the one that's going to be on the exam. So right now for the 2022-2023 exam, we don't have any of that confusion. So far, we have no confusion, all right? It's exactly the way the laws were passed last year. We have no new laws. So the exam is going to cover the Further Consolidated Appropriations Act. It's going to cover all of the different CARES Act that were passed in 2020 and 2021, more Consolidated Appropriations Act, American Rescue Plan, and that Infrastructure and Investment Jobs Act, uh, which was about 1,039 pages, but only had about 20 pages relating to tax. All of these things are in this year's exam. Okay. And Guy says, if we pass part one of the exam, that means you don't have to take the 100 question AFSP exam as long as you passed that part one exam within the last three years. So you're going to lose it. And we'll talk about that in a second. So let's talk about how the course, the exam is developed and how it is 
scored. What happened is Prometric and the IRS sent out a survey to enrolled agents, and they asked us for our feedback on what should be in the exam. And the general concept was that the exam should have questions based on what an enrolled agent needs to know during the first two years of practice. Well, that didn't happen. Okay, it is much harder than that. So the exam questions are scored on a system using quantitative analysis. So it doesn't have any absolute scores. We no longer have true-false questions. When the IRS ran the exam themselves on paper, when we actually got our book back and an answer sheet, we had one point for true-false questions, two points for multiple-choice questions, and three points for multiple-choice questions that were math problems. So we don't have true-false questions anymore. And the way they set up the exam is they've got this huge database of questions, and every person who takes the exam gets a hundred questions that are randomly pulled out of that database, but only semi-randomly because those hundred questions are designed to have an equal level of difficulty for each person who sits for the exam or each time you sit for the exam, but they're not going to be the same set of questions when you sit for another exam. So there's no point in, in talking over the question numbers with anyone because they're gonna have different numbers even if they have the same questions. So each year they refine how that works. Last year or two years ago, they did not allow scores to be issued until about June or July because they were revamping the whole exam. They only do that every four or five years. It's a real hardship. I think it was last year, it was a real hardship for people who were counting on sitting in May and passing in May. Uh, they've already done that. So we're not gonna have that problem. So what do we have? We have um, 15 additional questions within those 100 questions that you're going to answer in the exam that are experimental questions and they're not scored as part of your score at all. The passing score is 105. So the total score range is between 40, I guess, if you get your name right, and 130, you need 105 points to pass. And what they used to do was provide failing messages. If you failed, they would give you an outline, and I'll show you what that looks like, of the different categories. And a code one, two, or three, one means you don't know anything, two means, well, maybe there's hope for you, and three means you really know a lot. Well, what happened was I told you I, I would tell you a little bit more about Susan, and because she's a Vita, uh, she runs a Vita site. Um, she asked the question one day, if they can do that for the failing messages, why can't they give us the same information if we pass so that we know how strong we are in the different areas or how weak and if we need to learn more, even if we pass? So Stan was still there. I asked Stan, hey, you know, that's not a bad idea. Susan, Susan brought up something that's practical and your software already does it. Why not do it for everyone? And he scratched his head and he says, yeah, you know, what a great idea. So now we get that for everyone. So you can thank Susan. So what's if you don't pass? You were asking, Ling was asking, what do you do about rescheduling? 
I know some people have tried to go back like the next day or later that afternoon. They won't let you do that anymore. So what I recommend that you do is look at the the score result and the analysis that they give you. Look at the areas where you're a little bit weak, bone up on those areas, but don't make that 100% of your focus. For instance, if you were weak in retirement plans or IRA contribution issues, the next exam you get may not have any of that and it's going to have, you know, all estate and gift. So you may have a completely different set of topics. So don't make the area that they say you're weak 100% of your focus. Do look at the overall areas of the exam. And you know, I'll show you how that works you know, when we get into the actual class. So this is what the score report looks like. And it says if you fail, you're going to get the one, two, or three that's down here on the bottom. One is weak, additional study is necessary, two is marginal, and three is strong. Oh my God, you know everything. You're now getting the same information when you pass. One of the big questions that I had this year is how long do we get to keep our passing score? So back when we were doing it on paper with the IRS, we had one year. So you didn't pass all four parts that first time. You retake it the next September or October. And if you don't pass everything, you have to start over. All right, that's not happening anymore. With Prometric, what they did was they had a two-year span. So the first exam you take, from that date, you have two years to finish all three parts. Well, with COVID, they gave us an extra year. They gave us three years last year. And I really, really pounded on the IRS, bugging, bugging, bugging. Are we going to get two years or three years now for this testing season? And after a lot of nudging and nagging and fetching, uh, they came back and finally said, okay, you're going to get three years. So now we have three years to finish passing the exam. For instance, if you passed part three on May 16th of 2020, you now have until May 16th of 2023 to finish both the other parts. One of the things I strongly recommend is once you pass the first exam, if you I don't care what kind of calendar you're using, but if you're using the Google calendar, what you want to do is put this deadline on your calendar. So the deadline three years later, and then six months before that, put another deadline on there to remind you that you have six months to finish passing all the parts. You might also want to put it one year in advance so that you have some breathing room. So make sure you have reminders to yourself so that you don't run out that three years. It sounds like a long time, but the fact is three years disappears so fast. It just swings by. And if the deadline is getting close, Take it a couple of days early just in case you have to redo it. We had somebody who took it about a week before the deadline and then had to retake right on the last day. So give yourself some breathing space, okay? Now, what are the passing rates? Everybody wants to know, what are the passing rates? 
Well, the scores have improved a little bit since 2008. Not part one. Part one is still lower than 2008. So uh, the the Prometric system tracks. They do they do a graph and it shows the passage rates month by month. The average passage rate for part one was 65% during the summer, which is when everyone starts to take it. They started taking it in May, June, July. That's when the exam starts. Once you're getting to the tail end of it in January and February after tax season starts, the pass rate for part one drops to 58%. Part two is the hardest exam because it covers so much. And I'll show you what each of the exam covers in just a moment. Part two, people study more because there is so much in there and everyone's terrified that they need to know it all. So they actually have a higher passage rate than part one. And it's 74% during the summer, the main testing part, but it drops to 68% again in January and February. Part three is the easiest part. Ironically, it's the newest information for a lot of people who've never done representation, collections, and audits, but it covers the smallest population of data. So this is the easiest exam to learn, to study for, because there isn't as much in it as there is in part one and part two. And so that passage rate is about 85%, and it stayed pretty steady all year long. Let's do another one of these little polling questions just for the fun of it. And we've already done this question. So we'll take another one. We'll change the question and the question will say, have you ever taken any part of the EA exam? So let's change this. Have you? See what I can do, have you? ever taken any part of the EA exam. <laughs> there we go. Now, this is just for fun. These polling, the polling doesn't really matter. So this is just for fun. But please go ahead and participate so that you kind of get a feel for, for who your friends are here and, you know, what kind of company you're in, because there are going to be a lot of you who've never done that. So let's go ahead and close the poll and look at what people have said. So a fourth of you have passed at least one part. And if it's part one, you can, you can qualify for those reduced requirements for the AFSP. 4% said yes, but they didn't pass or they let it expire, which is so painful. It's so, so painful. And 70, no, not yet. And others may already be EAs or they're just here to, for the fun of it. And they're not really interested in sitting for the exam anyway. So thank you. And Mark says, and the other thing about the high pass rate for part three is by that time, you're getting better at testing. So, <laughs> and uh, it, yeah, he says he had a lot of exposure to tax mama. And I do help you reduce the tax anxiety because that's actually the name of my corporation is Tax Anxiety Inc. <laughs> okay, so where does the exam come from? All right, 
what they do is they have enrolled agents who are members of the National Association of Enrolled Agents and the National Association of Tax Professionals get together and they update last year's exam questions and re and create new questions from all of the new laws that passed and every time they create a question they have to make sure to provide four answer choices and they have to provide the source where did they get the source of the answer? Is it directly out of the tax code? Is it from a regulation, a revenue ruling, or what? Not necessarily from the publications. However, they do use the publications to create their questions. And one of the interesting things about the fact that they use the publications, which are not actually legal resources, you can't rely on them uh, for uh, to support your position on a on a client's tax return or a client's tax plan. But one of the interesting things is the publications have examples and sometimes the exam creators will take an example straight out of the publication and use that to create the question. So a lot of people kind of bypass the publications because there's so much in there. The wise people also look at the examples that are in the publications because they might show up on the exam. The IRS and the EA, so they do this independently, the creation and the review, then everybody gets together, the IRS and the EAs get together. Before COVID, they all used to get together in, in a hotel and go over this together. I don't know what they're doing now. They're probably doing something like, you know, Team Microsoft or whatever, uh, or Microsoft Teams. They go over, review the questions, see if, if everybody understands the questions, if they have objections, like this one doesn't make sense to me. And so they they go through it. The first few years, there were a lot of problems and there were a lot of questions that were had duplicate answers or there were a lot of errors uh, when Prometric first took over and, and you know, we were going through growing pains. We haven't had much of that lately. So may, lately, it's been pretty good. And I remember I told you the concept was to create an exam that tests skills that an enrolled agent needs in the first two years of experience. And that is specifically not what has happened. The information that we have to learn to sit for the exam covers things that people that I know who've been in practice for 10 years never have to deal with. So you're going to have to know a lot more than your established boss, CPA, EA, or attorney, if they've been in practice for 20 or 30 years, you're going to have to know more than they know now in order to pass the exam, which means you're going to be an enormous asset to them and you will be able to help them in their practice. Can you help create the exam? Yes, you can. If you want to be a participant in creating the exam, first you have to be an EA. Then you have to join NAEA or NATP and let the administration know that you want to participate in building the exam. And in order to do that, you're going to have to have a broad knowledge of taxation and different topics. And, you know, you apply by the way, they get paid for doing this. They used to do it for free in the beginning, but now I think they get paid. So the exam 
has three parts, not the four parts that we had. The first part is individuals, and I'll tell you exactly what's in each part. Second part is businesses, and this used to be two exams when we did it, okay? So they have crammed two entire exams worth of information into one exam, which is why I say this is the hardest exam and has covers the most amount of data. And part three is representation, practices, and procedures. So part one is about individuals. And remember, there are 100 questions on every single exam, but only 85 are scored and you won't know which ones. So there are six domains, so six general topics. The first one is the preliminary work to prepare tax returns, gathering information from the clients, doing our due diligence to make sure they are who they say they are. And there are about 14 questions in this area. The next one is income and assets, and there are 17 questions in this, and that's pretty self-explanatory. The third one is deductions and credits. Then we get into taxation. So, you know, we're looking at tax rates and various other computations. There are 15 questions about this. In domain five, we talk about advising the individual taxpayer. So we have to know more than just how to fill out a tax form. We have to know how to give the taxpayer certain levels of advice. And domain includes specialized returns. So these last two have 11 questions. So what are those specialized returns? Well, those specialized returns involve gifts and estates. So 706 and 709 forms. They involve um, a number of other special things that are going to be just on the part one exam. Last year, they focused on the child tax credit and injured spouse. They had the ACA thing, not so much an issue anymore because the IRS no longer has the, uh, the Obamacare penalties, but the state of California does. So if you're here in California, you're going to need to know stuff like that. Uh, personal property rentals, they do have information about the qualified business income, even though that is a business thing, which should go into part two. A lot about, about IRA contributions, energy credits, and things like that. People get a lot of military questions and uh, stuff about estimated tax returns amended returns and things like that. They One of the things that you're going to find in the part one is international questions relating to who has to file non-resident returns, whether they have to file the FBAR, the banking information with the treasury, um, the asset information that goes with the tax return, the FATCA, the 3520 when people get money from overseas. So there are a number of different things that you're going to need to know, some of which you may not be dealing with every day. But with our membership being so international to begin with, people speak dozens of languages and they have clients from all over the world, people who've moved here, who have family, you know what? More and more people are getting hit with 
international issues on their tax returns. Part two, business. Look at this. It only has three domains, so it doesn't look like much. But the three domains include business entities, and that means every business entity, tax preparation for business, and specialized returns. So this means they've got rental property, they have farming, they have exempt organizations. These are some of the specialized returns you're going to need to know about for this exam. You're going to have to deal with Schedule C's. Those are sole proprietorships. You have to understand how partnerships work. S corporations, C corporations, trusts, 1041s. So, you know, you have the estate and trust with the 706 and the 709 on the first part. You have the estate and the estate and trust relating to 1041s for decedents and bankruptcy estates. All of that stuff happens over here. So there is a huge, huge amount of information that goes into part two, including understanding accounting concepts, balancing, doing balance sheets on the partnership and S corporation and C corporation returns. So you have to understand how to do a balance sheet, not just a profit and loss statement. A lot of reporting obligations, W-2s, 1099s and stuff like that. So this has so much information that when I teach this class, it is actually 17 individual classes plus four classes that overlap in part one that deal with all of the different assets and sales and exchanges. So instead of 12 or 13 classes, part two covers 21 classes. Yep, there's that much in it. Part three, that's the ethics. And we've got the representation, the practices and procedures what it is you need to do properly to be an EA, to run your office, to oversee your staff. Representation before the IRS. So that relates to powers of attorney, um, information authorization forms, specific areas of representation involving um, collections, offers and compromise and audit, and then the filing process, a lot of this part deals with some of the due diligence things with getting the questionnaire, the questionnaires answered for head of household, for the refundable credits, the child tax credits. This year, they've added the child independent care credit being refundable, the earned income credit, that kind of stuff. It's the filing of it that ends up in this uh, part three because there is so much tax fraud in those areas with the refundable credits, they're including that in the ethics part. Pauline says, is a background in accounting helpful in taking part two? It is very helpful. It gives you like two steps ahead of everyone if you understand generally accepted accounting principles and how a balance sheet works and an income statement works. So yes, very definitely helpful. So what are they focusing on in the part three exam? Disreputable conduct and incompetence definitely conflict of interest, currently not collectible status, financial documents, supporting information, statute of limitations, the burden of proof, 
when you process tax information and the IP pin, the identity protection pin rules and changes, which they used to only allow for people who actually had their identity stolen, and now it's available to anybody who wants it. And in class, we'll talk about whether it's a good idea or not for you to get that. Um, let's skip this polling question. I, I think you know we've already answered that. The questions are all wrong. They're all in the wrong order. Actually, what is it? Oh, well, all right, let's let's go ahead and do this. How much experience do you have in preparing tax returns? All right, what the heck? Because this is actually an interesting question. And you don't have to have a huge amount of experience to pass the EA exam, because even people who have a lot of experience, the exam, the way they word the questions is so different that if you have a lot of experience, you actually get confused by the way the questions are worded. So don't be concerned if you don't have a lot of experiences, but you do have to do the studying. You do have to do the practice questions. Uh, in my system, in, in Fast Forward Academy or Lambert, in your system, whatever other software you're using, you know, Glime, Passgear, whatever. So let's let's look at what people have said. I'm going to close the poll. We'll say three, two, one. And so we've got 82% of the people who've participated. A third of you say you have very little, mostly friends and family. It's a good start. At least you've done something. Another fourth say quite a bit, but mostly 1040s. And that's usually what happens with people who start out studying for the EA exam is mostly they have done individual tax returns. They haven't done as many partnerships and corporations. but one-fifth of you have done all of those, and 11% have also done a lot of the other entities, including trusts. One-fourth of you have done tax returns, but no representation, no collections or audit, and 11% have a lot of in-depth tax and representation experience. And that's going to help you a lot if you're sitting for part three of the exam or you're here because you already have your EA and you're just here to visit. So I, I see a lot of you here, actually. It's kind of neat to see you here. Ling wants to know, if we follow closely with your live lesson, do you think it's logical to take test one during May or June, test two like August, text three before Christmas? Well, in between part one, we have a week so that you can sit for the exam. After part two, we have a week so you can sit for the exam. And after part three, well, we have no more classes, so definitely. So there's no reason why you cannot finish all three parts by the end of October. And do I encourage all people sitting in the class to connect? Uh, yeah, in my live classes, not only do I encourage it, I provide a Facebook forum where you can connect with each other and you can 
make friends, you can study together. And if you get to know other people and their their particular area of specialty, because everyone knows something, those are people who you're going to be working with in the long run in referring to each other. So yes, very definitely, we definitely encourage people to get to know each other. Not so much here. Okay, how do we prepare for the exam? Well, First option is watch the sample software on the Prometric site. They have something called the C tutorial. C stands for Special Enrollment Examination. So you click on that and it walks you through a 15-minute sample of what the exam looks like. And I will show you exactly what that looks like in a few minutes. And when you do that and you're using that C tutorial, click on everything and try all of the different things to move around, to save things. And I'll show you all of you know, all the different functionalities, how to mark stuff and everything else. So that's one way to find out how the exam works. The other is Glime has in their test mode, they have mimicked the Prometric exam. I don't know if anyone else does that, but I know that Glime does do that. The other option is you can go to a location and do a test drive where you'll sit there and do the same thing, run through this 15-minute tutorial. There is no point. They used to charge $30. Now they do it for free, but don't waste your time. Just do the C tutorial. And the other is if you're in my class, you want to attend the final review sessions where we walk through four hours worth of questions and answers and how to answer questions when you don't really know what the question is about and how to eliminate some of the wrong answers and narrow it down to one or two answers. So we put in four hours four times for each part of the exam. So 16 hours for, for each exam part to walk through and practice answering the questions. What's the exam like? All right. Well, it's a computerized exam. And I mentioned that it's all multiple choice. There are no true-false questions. You're going to go to a Prometric testing facility, and it's going to be a room full of computers, and like a long table with dividers between them, you know, um, kind of like, what is it, uh, Dilbert, kind of like one of those Dilbert things where everyone has their little cubicles, and there'll be a lot of other people there, so shh, be very, very quiet. And don't fall asleep and snore. Um, they're going to give you pencil and paper. So they'll give you a couple of pencils, a few sheets of paper. And the there is a calculator on the screen. But if you ask for a physical calculator, they will give you one. So when they first, when Prometric first started running the exam, I went to the first location, took the first exam the very first morning at eight o'clock in the morning. I took part two, tried everything out and found the calculator they had on the screen was slow and clunky and I couldn't use it that slowly because, you know, those of us who do accounting, we're used to using a calculator quickly. So I found it was really, really um, awful. And I asked the IRS to please provide hand calculators or tell us what we can bring that would meet their approval. Obviously, no scientific calculators and said, no, we'll provide the calculator. So after a couple of months, they had them in every location. Um, 
You're allowed to bring water and snacks, but you can't bring it into the testing room. It'll have to be left in the locker. Anything that you bring has to be left in the locker. You can have your eyeglasses on, no hearing aids, because you might be getting Bluetooth answers from people and being able to you know, whisper under your breath. Um, and if you have disability, remember, you can make special arrangements. So we're going to give you a lot more tips, but the exam has two parts. And each part has 50 questions. So this is a new thing last year. It used to be the 100 questions, and you, do, you took the whole thing. Now you have 50 questions, a break, and then 50 questions. And I'll show you what they show us. So first of all, I mentioned you want to request the physical calculator. You don't want to use the calculator in the test application. If you're going to ask for more paper, not a good idea. They're going to give you paper. Use both sides of that sheet of paper. You've got two or three sheets. The reason you don't want to ask for more paper is if you get more paper, they take away the paper you already had and they shred it. And that's not good because you have notes there. You've made notations about some of the different questions or the things you've learned, things that came to you that you remembered, and you made notes about things that will help you with computations or different questions. So use both sides of the paper. Do not ask them for more paper. Okay. And uh, don't rip the paper or take it apart because, uh, you know, you need to give them back when you leave. You're going to give them back the paper and the pencils. So you've got to get you've got to get used to it. As Mark says you might want to practice your note taking strategy so that you can get everything. If you're taking hundred question quizzes, you can fit everything on back and forth front and back side of no more than two pages. If you can do it in two pages, you'll be good. Pauline says, is your live class still a good choice? If I already know I'll have to miss two weeks of classes in mid-May due to being out of internet contact, or would the self-study be a better choice? Uh, the live classes will be fine. Everything is videoed. Everything is, is recorded. You'll have video. You'll have audio. You'll have print handouts. And so if you can't make a couple of weeks, you can make the rest of it, and you can listen later. So, yeah, uh, the live is preferred because during the live class, you can do what you're doing now, Pauline, you can ask questions. You can't ask questions when you're watching the video, but I have a forum where you are able to ask the questions, which I prowl every morning, and we'll talk about that too. So the exam now, this is the new version of the exam that they built last year. It has 50 questions. And once you finish that first 50 questions, you won't be able to go back and look at them. So you have to treat it as though you're taking two separate exams. So first, they're going to give you uh, about nine minutes to do that tutorial. You won't need it because you have already done that at home. And hint, let me tell you something I tell my students. Shh, don't tell anybody else. During those nine minutes that you don't really need the tutorial, Write down everything in your head that you remember, the, the kinds of things you normally forget. Make sure you don't run out of time before that nine minutes runs out so you can start the exam. So don't let the time run out. Start the exam. 
they have a break policy. You can leave at any time for two minutes, not a problem. Then the exam. It's basically a three and a half hour exam, okay, including all of these things. The 50 questions, the 50 questions, number one through 50, you have to go through and you're going to answer all of the questions and make sure you don't leave anything unanswered. You don't get points off for wrong answers. You only get points for right answers. So even if you don't know an answer, answer the question anyway. You might luck out. You have a one in four chance of getting it right. Okay. So don't leave anything unanswered. After the end of the 50 questions, you're done with that session. You've got an optional break for 15 minutes. Definitely worthwhile standing up, stretching, drinking water, going to the bathroom. You don't need the whole 15 minutes. You come back five minutes later and you do the next 50 questions. When you're done with that, and again, make sure you don't leave anything unanswered. And one of the things you're going to do on the notes is you may see something in one question that will help you answer another question. And that's why I don't like the way they broke it up, because you might see something in the second half that you could have used in the first half. But it is what it is, right? Um, yeah, definitely be sure to you review the first 50. And as Mark says, you can't see the first 50. Can I use a longer time for hard questions? Of course. But once you finish those 50, once you close it out, you're done with that. So you control how you use the three and a half hours. It's okay. Most people usually end with an hour to go. You, no need to stress. You're going to have plenty of time to do the questions. Now, when you're done with the exam, they have that survey for about seven minutes. They ask you 10 questions, but they also leave you this blank area where you can send notes to the IRS and Prometric. If you have any kind of a problem, if you have any kind of a problem or you see questions that have duplicate answers that, that you know are correct, that things that they haven't updated questions for laws or whatever, that's where you're going to write that information and put it in there. The IRS and Prometric actually read those notes. So please make sure that if you have an issue, it's not the question number, put information about the names of the people in the question or something that will identify the question without the question number because they won't know the question number because you have a random exam. So during the exam, and I'm going to show you how this works, you can mark the questions to review, you can highlight text, you can cross out wrong answers, and you can see which of your questions are still complete or incomplete, and you can see how much time you have left. So guys, since it's 105 minutes for each set of 50 questions, no, you might want to spend two hours on the first 50 questions and only one hour on the next 50. So it's completely up to you how you break down the time. So the 50 questions aren't time-based as long as you finish the whole exam within the three and a half hours. As I said, most people finish with an hour to go. So don't worry that much. Don't fret about the time. Okay. We'll show you how to work through and how to, how to organize your answers as you go along so that you end up 
getting the best benefit of the questions you've already seen and best use of the time for leaving you time for the more difficult questions. We do this. This is fun. Now, people are asking, because of all of this COVID stuff, um, can you do the test remotely? And, you know, with everybody getting shut down and driving to different states, can we do this remotely? Why can't we do this remotely? Prometric has a program called ProProctor that they will let some of their, their exams be done remotely. You may have heard about it. We don't get that. IRS tried it. They haven't approved it. There are apparently too many security issues for a federal exam at that time. Are there many questions that require calculations? In part one and part two, you figure at least one third to one fourth will have calculations. And it depends on the, the question mix that you get. Some people will have a lot and some people will end up not that many. Yeah. No promises, totally random. So when you start your exam, you're going to get this non-disclosure page. Please understand, it says you are expressly prohibited from disclosing anything in the exam, whether you're telling somebody verbally, written or electronic or mechanical. Now, a lot of people talk to their friends and tell them what's in the exam that they took. Some people post that information into Facebook. Please don't post anything publicly, for heaven's sake. Sooner or later, if the IRS wants to disbar you for whatever reason, they're going to find that stuff. So don't put anything in writing. If you do want to talk to people, fine. Just don't make it public. But seriously, um, it is it is a security matter and, and it is an ethical matter. So, you know, if you don't have ethics, you shouldn't be an EA. Um, my students, if you do have a problem with questions, I do want you to tell me. So if you put notes into that into that survey at the end of your exam that you're sending to the IRS and Prometric, I want you to let me know what those notes are because I'm going to fight for you at the IRS. But this is what you're going to start with. The exam is going to look like this. Okay, you're going to navigate through the exam. And if you see along the left hand side, um, that's interesting. Okay, so you see along the left hand side over here, you have the list of questions. You'll have the 50 questions over here. If you mark a question, you will see that over here. There's, there's actually this grid where you'll see it laid out in a grid. And so if it's marked, it's going to look like this. And some of the questions, some of the pages have, are longer than they appear. You'll see this thing that says this question, this page requires scrolling. Okay, it's going to tell you how much the time is remaining. Do not click on that button. Do not click on that button until you are sure you are done. So don't hit that by accident. Keep your cursor from the top in all cases. So keep your cursor down at the bottom. You want to go clicking on next. Okay. Now, when you answer questions, they're all going to be multiple choice questions. And you know, when you're at the question, you can see that's that little arrow will tell you which question you're on. And you'll see four choices. And if there's more information, once again, it will tell you about scrolling. 
Now, there is a calculator on the screen. You will have this on the screen. As I said, don't use this calculator. Ask for the physical one. They have them in the facility. And even the Prometric Bulletin tells you that you can get a physical calculator. So don't waste your time with this. Now, one of the things that we did ask the IRS for, and you know, when we were working with Stan and he was there, we, were, we had a, a contact who actually, he was there since the beginning of the Prometric thing, and he gave a hoot. Okay, so when I could give him a suggestion that was practical to implement, he would say, yeah, let's do that. So in the exam, one of the things I really like to be able to do is highlight information in the question. So let's say I've got, you know, the name of the people or I have an asset value or I have a basis or something. I want to highlight that these are the things I want to see in the question. And I don't care about the rest of the stuff that's there just to confuse me. So what you do is you highlight the text, click and drag the mouse over it, and it will stay highlighted just like that. So we asked for this and we got this in the exam in 2015 because Dan was such a doll. The other thing we asked for is this. We wanted to be able to narrow down our answers. So we can cross out answers that we can eliminate and in both of these things, the highlighting and the crossing out, they stay there. So if you leave the question and you're not done and you mark it so you can come back to it, the highlighting is still there. The cross out is still there. You don't have to rethink the whole thing. You can then come back and see, okay, is my answer supposed to be three or four? So this is going to save you a lot of time and it's because we asked for it. Anything that's reasonable, we were able to get from the IRS. We don't have the contact anymore, but I told you, I'm still bugging somebody. I found someone to bug. All right, so down here, okay, we have this, and that is this, okay? This is a much larger grid because there are 50 questions in it. And you can filter, you can say, I just want the ones I didn't try at all. I want the ones that I flagged, or I only want the ones that I've actually answered. So you can go through, or you, you click on nothing, and you'll see the whole population, and you will see the ones that were flagged. Like I showed you, it had that different color. It wasn't the same green. So here is a picture of an exam question page with the calculator right there on the screen. By the way, this calculator is not the same one that was on there when I took the exam. This is more like the calculator that is on your Microsoft computer, on your, on your PC. So if you're really good at that, test this in, in the C tutorial and see if it works for you. If this works for you, fine, then go ahead and use this. But what you're going to often see is the math question. You've got a situation like this, and then you'll have a grid like that with information in the question, and then you'll have the rest of the text and the answer choices. So you see how you can highlight different information and you can cross out answers that are not good. Talking about reviewing the questions, so this is that little grid I was showing you. 
This is how it looks like when it has more questions on it. These are the questions that were flagged that you know you want to come back to. So you don't even have to filter. You can just see it right there on the screen. So you can navigate directly to any of those. You don't have to do the questions in order. I suggest that you do that, but you don't have to do the questions in order. But you know, if you see, if you're working on a question and you see a question that reminds you of something else where somewhere else they might have the, the answer, click on the other question and come on back. So you're not locked in to going one step at a time. When you finish, you're going to do that little survey. And then when you're sure, you're sure you want to finish this, that's when you finish the test. You don't do that until you're there. So I told you about this special break. They added that 15-minute break. You don't have to take the whole 15 minutes, okay? Uh, but do take at least five. You are allowed to take unscheduled breaks. So if you really need to stretch, you know, you really need to do something, you can do these unscheduled breaks over here. Not a problem. But while you do that, the timer will continue. So the timer only stops after the first 50 questions. Okay. You can't leave the test center during the break that you take, whether it's the long one or the short one, unless the bathroom is outside the door and you have to go out, but they don't like you to do that. And anytime you need to do that, make sure you notify the test center administrator over there where you're going. They may want to come with you. The other thing that, that we've learned is uh, sometimes when you leave the room, their, their facility, uh, the door locks behind you. And make sure somebody is still going to be there when you come back, that they're not going to be going out to the bathroom and killing 15 minutes of your time while you're waiting to get back in. We've had that happen. The IRS has a resource for you on the website. They used to have a resource with copies of a lot of the old questions from when it was a paper exam. They took that down. And so what they have is if you click on this page over here, um, what they have is um, a page where they have some sample questions that they created. So by the way, here is the link to this page. They have some sample questions that they created scrolling down and they have the explanation of the terminology that you're going to see in the questions. So they tell you what the IRC is. They tell you it's the Internal Revenue Code. CFR is the Code of Federal Regulations, which is the body of US law. So they tell you what everything is. And in the questions, the sample questions that they have and the answers down on the bottom of this page, one of the things they've done is something that I did when I when I took over working with Lambers on their question database is in addition to the answer, I have the link to the reference source. Where did the answer come from? What law, what publication, what revenue ruling or whatever. So the IRS actually has that with those questions. So I kind of like this. This is a good free page you can play with. What about if you disagree and you have a problem with the exam you took? When we had the exam on paper, 
we got our exam book back with all of our scribbles and notes on it and we got the answer sheet and we could see when the IRS said we were wrong on a question, we could see what the question was and what our logic was based on the notes. And we could write to the IRS. We had 30 days to send them our challenges and our objections. And then the IRS would review our information. And sometimes they would change the answers. They would agree that some answers, you know, were ambiguous or they didn't do a good job writing the question or whatever. And we would be able to then get some more questions marked correct. And some people who were just a couple points off were able to pass the exam that way. Well, they don't have a formal challenge process anymore. But if in fact, you find that you had a problem, and you know that one of the questions is really wrong for whatever reason, you can contact the IRS and you can challenge it. So one of the things you can do is contact the IRS directly over here. So they, it's easier to email or fax them when you have these questions. You can try to reach Prometric. You can, there's no point in calling them, but you can try to fax them with the information. My students, if you have that information, I will take it to IRS for you. I have gotten the IRS to change some of the answers. In the beginning, in the first couple of years, we actually got some questions thrown out and people who didn't pass did end up passing. So I will fight for you. So just ask Tax Mama if there's a problem and I will do that. Guy says, how soon after submitting part one, two or three of the exam do we find out if we passed? Good question. Last year, when they were retooling the exam for the first few months until July or August, you had to wait until July or August. Now, you get out of your little cubicle and you go out to the front and the administrator is going to print out the results and you're going to know on the spot. So you will know immediately. So you can go. And Mark says it happens before that. It shows up on the screen, Mark. So, yeah, Mark just finished all of these things. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes, you know, when you don't expect to pass, it's really, it, it, it's heart, you know, heart stopping. So Mark says it, it pauses and then you don't know what's happening. And then it goes, oh, look, you did it. So I told you the challenge strategy. Okay, I will fight for my students. I swear to you that I don't let it just sit. If you give me solid information and it makes sense, I will get the scores adjusted. And if you have registration problems with Prometric, I will get help. We, for instance, we had somebody in Hawaii uh, and, you know, the islands aren't that big, but she, she had to drive. Traffic's terrible over there on Hawaii. She drove two mile, two hours to this, to this Prometric facility and found out it was closed and there was nobody running it anymore. Um, we actually got the IRS, the Prometric people, to fly somebody out there and, and you know, administer the exam to her. Um, so as I said, I will, I will fight for, for my students. And when there are registration problems, systemic problems, I will bug the IRS, even if I have to go to, you know, to Carol Campbell, who's the head of the, the return prepare office, or even to the commissioner of the IRS, I don't care. I am 
very annoying. I am very annoying when I think the IRS is wrong. So let me know when there is a problem and let me know as soon as you have the problem so that I can fight it out for you, okay? Especially uh, not at the last minute. So as soon as you find out there's a problem, you know, let me know. Now, what do you do when you pass? Well, yay, you know, mark your heart stops. You file form 23 on paper, uh, not on paper. You file it online and you pay $67, which used to be $30, which registers you with the IRS for up to three years. Now I say up to because it cycles, it's a three-year cycle. So each year, one-third of the EA population has to renew. So, you know, if you're three months away from the end of your cycle, you're only getting three months and then you have to do it again for the next three years. Uh, some of the things that the IRS return prepare office did when they saw people were right close to it, they gave them the entire three years plus a couple of months. So they were very good about that. So you do it online and you file the application online. The whole thing goes through pay.gov and you can pay for it. Here is the bad news, okay? The bad news is that the IRS has proposed to raise this fee to $140. I don't know if it's next year or not because they are raising the exam fee to $204 within 30 days after that was published in the Federal Register, which was March 1st. So that means they are raising the exam fee as of March 31st, which kind of, you know, should I, should I pre-schedule the exam and pay the lower fee? It's only $19. You know, it's not the end of the world. Um, but this is a significant increase. And I'm going to show you in, a, in just a moment what you can do about this if you're not happy with this. But you pass, you file your application, the IRS is going to do a background check on you. The focus of this background check is your compliance. Have you filed all your tax returns? Have you paid all of your taxes? They say to wait about 60 days, but we've been, people have been contacting the office about 20 or 30 days later, and IRS has actually been able to give them their EA number, and then they'll send the card out later. You'll receive the card, and voila, you are now getting your certificate, and you now have your credential, and you can hold your head up as one of the best tax professionals in the country. What about people who have a problem with compliance, haven't filed tax returns for a while, owed money and so forth. Before you spend the money to start studying for the exam, if you're my student, talk to me and I will give you guidance on whether or not you will, you will get past all of these issues, whether the IRS will go ahead and approve you or Call the IRS directly and tell them the truth. This is my situation. This is what I have done wrong. This is why I'm never going to do it again and why I'm going to be better as a tax professional because I've done this and I can help prevent this from happening to other people. 
call them directly and ask them. Make sure you write down the name of the person and their employee number who said, okay, go ahead and study and we will help you get your EA card. So don't just start studying until you clear it with them. I will help you if you're my student, but if you're not, there's no reason you can't contact them yourself. This is the information about the IRS proposed fee increase. I'm not going to read it to you. What I did, though, was give you the information to the public announcement. And you read that, and if you want to object to this increase, you can send a response to the IRS by May 10th, so within 71 days after it's been published in the Federal Register, you can send the response electronically or you can make arrangements to go there in person and speak to the IRS or speak to Congress. So you have the information in case you want to fight this. If I have time, I just might because I'm really upset at the IRS not providing us the support. If they're not providing us the support and they're not assigning somebody to us, I don't want them to get this extra money. Now, how long is it going to take to process your application? They say 60 days, probably not. Who do you call if you have a question? On the application, it has this phone number at the IRS. Give them a call. What's if I don't have a social security number? Guys, if you don't have a social security number, you needed to resolve that before you got your PTIN. And that's how you got your PTIN, right? You got your PTIN in advance. And so that's already resolved and it's no longer an issue. If you're still at this point, how did you pass the exams? How did you sit for the exams without having the social security number or an ID number that the IRS accepts? So you shouldn't even have this situation. This is what the application looks like. Okay. Form 23, uh, you have to have the PTIN. The fee is not refundable. They ask you for your social security number, date of birth, your legal name, current address. Enter the PTIN. And if you have an employer ID number, because you have a business, and of course you do, so enter the employer ID number. Now, if you have a centralized authorization file number, a CAF number, theoretically, you should only have one, okay? If you have more than one, enter all of them. But theoretically, if you have any, you should be using the same one all the time. The only reason you might have more than one is you have one for your own practice and you're working for somebody else and you have a CAF number when you're working with another employer and you got the CAF number because you're representing that employer's clients. So that might be a situation. It asks if you're current with your individual and business taxes, right? Uh, then it asks, have you ever been sanctioned by a federal or state licensing authority? Has any application that you filed with the court, government, department, or agency for admission to practice ever been denied? Have you been convicted of a tax crime or felony? Okay, so note the emphasis on tax crime or felony. It doesn't mean drunk driving. It means tax crime, financial crime. Have you been permanently prevented from preparing tax returns or representing others before the IRS? 
Okay, so what isn't over here? One of the things that people ask me all about, one of the things they ask me all the time is, what's if I filed bankruptcy? That's not a question on this application. Okay, not a question on this application. However, if you filed bankruptcy and discharged taxes, you may have a problem because then this may have to be no, and you're going to have to explain. That's the kind of situation where you want to call the IRS before you go through this process. Do they actually do a tax audit? No, what they only do is they check to make sure you filed all of your tax returns and you've paid all of your taxes, personal, business, and so forth. So they don't actually audit you. You can take a breath. It's okay. That's not going to be a problem. None of us are perfect. Trust me. There are so many ways to make mistakes and they're usually inadvertent. Now, how about studying? How about studying? How much time will it take to study? Okay. Well, I have known people literally who have gone through the whole program and they've passed everything in about six weeks. One of our students, Tim, did that. And Ishan, who did not take my class, did this in about three weeks using, using other tools. But they did this full time. They had nothing else to do. And they're both pretty darn smart and good at taking tests. Some people, though, take years to go through this. Okay. The reality is life intervenes. People get sick, family members get sick, they have personal problems, divorce, various other things. It's okay. I mean, I have people coming back to my class who signed up 10 years ago, and now they're getting control of their life again. In my class, you don't have to pay again. Just show up. Please don't ask me because it hurts my feelings when you ask me if, if you know, you know, what to do to come back. Just show up, please. I always feel like you don't believe me. Um, what are the education requirements? To just pass the exam with having no education at all. Okay, if you have experience and training in tax, then at least 30 hours per exam and double that time for part two. If you only have experience doing individual tax returns, figure at least 50 hours for part one, 120 hours for part two, and maybe only 40 hours for part three. If you have no experience and no education, then you really want to double the study time overall. Plus, you want to take time to watch the class videos. One of the things, particularly about my, my program, is that you come to the live class or you come to the self-study class and you do the work and, you know, you memorize everything, you learn what you need to know, and you pass the exam. But what happens is you didn't really get to focus on learning because you were so focused on passing. After you pass, you can come back and now take your time and watch whatever video or part of the video you want to see. Take a breath and sit back and now you can learn it or you can look things up if you're working with a client and need to understand how a particular process works. Go to that class. It's all there and you can use that to get through that client's issues and that client's tax returns.
What about if you want to pass the exam and actually learn something? Well, that's where my class comes into play. It's 128 class hours spread over six to seven months from May through October. There are 72 hours of final review, 16 hours for each part, right? Um, 16, plus four hours per week of study time or study buddy time. And then if you do that, you're not just going to pass the exam, you're going to be an amazing, an amazing tax professional. And I don't know, I don't think I kept Brad's uh, Brad's quote, but he was just astonished at how much he ended up learning. And even people with a lot of experience suddenly find that they're learning a lot. Not only that, I learn a lot. Every time I teach the class, I learn something that I didn't understand before. Because, you know, we do things. We don't always understand what we're doing. I try to explain to you the why and the how, not just the what. And sometimes I end up learning things too. So we're done with the EA exam information. So those of you who are only here because you wanted to know all about the EA exam, you don't need to stay anymore. But if you want to learn more about my class, and if you want to get the $100 bribe, then please stick around a little bit longer and I will tell you about what we do in my class and why it may be worth your time to take my class. So those of you who are leaving, thank you so much for joining me. This will, this is videotaped. You'll be able to get access to the videotape on the Tax Mama site. So all you have to do is go over here to uh, the taxmama.com and this link will take you to the everything webinar page and the video and the handouts will be up there as will the audio. So thank you for joining me. Everybody else. Well, which course do you need? There are so many courses out there that will help you pass the EA exam. The fact is, when we started out with the whole Prometric thing, there were a number of courses. Some of them were not all that good, and they have gone by the wayside. The resources that are out there now are all good. Every single one of them is excellent. They are all a little bit different. They all handle things a little bit differently. Some of them will let you get through things more quickly because understand the, the concept of a review. A review means you already know things and you just need some help to pass the exam. You're not trying to learn, you're just trying to pass the exam. So if you only want to review, any of those other courses will do. You do not need my course. Most of those courses are cheaper, so you don't want to go through my program. They're cheaper and they're faster. If you want to learn, on the other hand, well, you want to learn more about tax law, tax strategy, client management, how to make your life easier and get your clients to pay you more and not bother you every five minutes, how to pass the exams. If you want to learn how to actually make a living as a tax professional and how to get clients who treat you with respect and filter out the ones who waste your time and attract good clients. If you are there as a sole practitioner and 
you need somebody to bounce ideas. You don't know how to do something. Your clients have proposed something that makes no sense to you. You need someone to answer your questions that you can trust. This is the place. And after you pass the exam, this is still here for you. So people are here like Mark is here. People are here years later and still asking questions and getting answers. I check that forum first thing every morning, unless I'm in a meeting, then I'll do it second thing in the morning. And if you need somebody to be your cheerleader, your nudge, you know, they call me mother for a reason, right? And not necessarily the nice reason. So if you want all of that, if you want to meet the most interesting people in the country who are tax professionals and getting better and better, this is the only course for you. Tax Mama and Team Tax Mama, we're all here to make your professional life so much better and so much easier to understand. So we've basically got two courses. We've got the premium course, which is the live course. What do you get out of that? Well, you get instant gratification. And just like here, you can ask questions during the class and get answers during class. You're going to get a video and an audio. Nobody else gives you a downloadable audio. We go to the extra trouble to get you a video and an audio for those people who are actually still commuting and going to work and get stuck in traffic or the people who have been working out, listening to me and losing weight. Don't worry. While they lost it, I found it. Not a problem. Doing housekeeping whatever, uh, putting their children to sleep, listening to Tax Mama's voice. There are generations of children who have fallen asleep peacefully being lullabied by my voice in the evening. If you want long-term access and you need, you need people that you can count on, this is it. And you get to stay in the class until you pass, even if it takes you years just come back. But please, as I said, don't ask me. It really, it really hurts my feelings if you ask me if you can come back. Of course you can. Now, what do you get? You get 80 plus hours of continuing education credit. Nobody needs that much. So you pretty much never need more than about 24 hours a year. But obviously, it doesn't hurt to have more. But you have all of that. You get CPE for EAs. CPAs and the annual filing season program record of completion. I am also working, hopefully, to get CTEC credit. That's a California uh, education credit. Don't have that yet, but I'm working on trying to get that this year. You are going to have all of the credits needed for the annual requirements for enrolled agents and AFSPs and CPAs, really. All the live students who track the attendance, you get this free for one year. Afterwards, the following year, you will have to pay for the continuing education credits that you need at like 10 bucks a credit hour. So if you need five or 10, or 10 credits, actually even numbers, you'll, you'll pay $10 times that, but there's a lot of free CPE. You can also get elsewhere to make up the credits you need, but you can attend every class without paying for the CPE and just attend the classes. You have an opportunity to get self-study CPE 
for an additional price. So it's not part of the premium class because it's a whole other system that I have to pay for. And we have to do all of this extra work for that. But I am working on a way that might happen this year where we might be able to include that in the premium class. Not ready yet, but I'm hoping we get that ready by May or June. Now, the schedule is May through October this year. We meet Tuesday and Thursday from 4 to 6 p.m. Sometimes we basically run three hours instead of two. That's specific time. The evening, Tuesday and Thursday, are usually for learning taxes. And Saturday from 8 to noon, very often what we do are the final review sessions. Those are those four-hour sessions. But several of those Saturdays, we will have two of the live classes, two courses to cover that four-hour period. On rare occasions, if we have to rearrange the schedule, some Tuesdays or Thursdays, we might have EA exam review sessions, those, those final review sessions. The self-study, everything is recorded. So after the live class, within about an hour or so, the video will be up as soon as Zoom, Zoom gives it to me. The audio will be up later that night or the next day. So whenever Alex is able to process it, Usually he, he does that before he goes to sleep at night. So we also have the audio. The, the PDF, I try to have that up by noon of the day of the class. And on uh, the Saturday class, I try to have it up by noon on Friday. So you can do self-study using this stuff year-round. There's no credit for that in the premium class, but you can do that year-round. So as I said, you get the videos, the audios cheat sheets, all kinds of resources and tools, and what else? We have two follow-up sessions. Once we're done with the class, once we're done in October, we have two customized follow-up sessions for people who are studying. So if you're studying for a part of the exam, you tell me what you're studying, and I will create a session just to address that part of the exam, that topic, or whatever. So we have those twice every month in November, December, January, and February. And that's strictly about the exam. And then every month, the second Thursday of every month, we have the tax roundtables. And these are live sessions also, where you can ask anything you want. So if you send me questions in advance, I will do some research and include them. If you don't, then just show up and ask your questions. And it doesn't have to be about taxes. It could be client things. It could be gossip. It could be absolutely anything. Just this is your time to just sit and smooth, get to know us, get to know other students. This is where you make friends with each other. And for instance, last last. Uh, session, we had a couple people from Mexico, one from Canada. Sometimes we have one of our graduates in Australia. Uh, you know, we have students in England. So you might meet people from all over the world. It's, it's really kind of fun. And there's more. It just never ends. You have those commercials, you know, and still more, you know, two for the price of one with an extra fee. Um, you also get the Lambert software. 
I completely revamped that for them for the last couple of years. I am not doing it this year. Andy Fry is at Pronto Tax and he is following my guidelines to have answers with the math that you can see instead of, you know, all text so you can't figure out what the numbers are. And the answers will have the reference links to the reference that I insisted that we implement for Lambert. So, and he's adding a bunch of questions. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what he does with that database. You'll have Fast Forward Academy. Now the Lambert and the Fast Forward Academy software, you get to use until you pass. So if it takes you years, you get to do that. So the concept is in my class, you don't have to pay me for the class. You don't have to pay Lambers or Fast Forward Academy. And Fast Forward Academy has a really good guide, software guide within their system. You also get the tax book web library. It's the online library. And what we try to do is we don't get it for you. We don't order it for you until after tax season's over, until about the end of April, beginning of May. Because if we do that, instead of having it expire on December 1st of this year, your use, your, your subscription is good until December 1st of 2023. You get an extra year if you're willing to wait a month for us to to sign you up on it. If you need it sooner, that's okay. And the textbook web library is always current. The print, the print book gets out of, stops being current the minute they print it because Congress passes new laws after December 31st and ruins everything. The textbook web library uh, is always current and they show you what the changes are as they go along. And the neat thing about it is it includes all states, and if you scroll down on the bottom of the textbook web library main page, you will see the archives. You can get copies of the textbook web library for several past years. So if you're working with non-filer clients, usually you have to go back six years. All of that stuff is there. We also have that special Facebook group, that special tax mama group, where you can hang out with people, ask questions, brag. <laughs> cry and people put in special resources. Mark put together some neat stuff. Various people have put together tools and resources that you can download. I put stuff in there. There are special announcements that I may not put anywhere else because I can just knock it out and put it into Facebook and not have to do a whole newsletter. And uh, answers to tax questions. So you get all of that in the premium class. And as I said at the very beginning, the classes start five minutes after the hour is sharp. So it's not like we're starting five minutes late. We start all the classes at 4.05 or 8.05. And we don't usually take a break on the Tuesday and Thursday classes. On Saturday, it's a four-hour session. We take one or two breaks, definitely. Every class is recorded. So you get the video and, and Zoom does get it to me in about an hour usually. The four-hour classes, it takes a little bit longer. You get the audio recording. So you get that and you're able to download that to any device, your phone or anything you're using. It's a regular MP3. So you'll be able to carry that with you anywhere. So that's really kind of a unique thing. Nobody else I know gives you the audio of their courses. 
the class materials that you're going to have before each session, you're going to get the PDF of the slides for your notes. And what I do is, and I said usually by noon of the day, you're going to get three versions, the full page slides, so one slide to a page, the two page slides, or the three page slides, three slides to a page. So that way you may not, have, if you want to print it out, you won't have to print out as much. But one of the things you might want to practice is using the PDF files and using the tools that let you make comments in there and not have to print everything out. And then you can just save your file with all of your notes. And the full page slides will always have working links. The other slides might not. The other things that you're going to get are uh, templates that you can use with your clients, um, engagement letters, cheat sheets, different kinds of guides, and you're going to have special tools that will help you. You'll have all kinds of client tools that will help ease your practice. And, you know, you're, you're also finding things about software and things that you're using. You can share that information with other people so they don't have to recreate the wheel. You've already done the research. So all of that, you know, all of this information just grows and improves everybody's situation. The self-study class. Those of you who don't want to pay for the live class, you want the self-study class. So that is a little bit different. And I'm going to discourage you from my self-study class. The reason I'm going to discourage you is because my self-study class follows the live class. So we teach the live class. We record it, and about two weeks later, after we do all of the, the setup for all of the self-study questions and testing that we need to do for IRS and, and NASBA, it takes about two weeks to get that up. So the self-study class is created as we go along with the live class, and it is behind the live class. So it's a couple of weeks behind. Um, but the self-study students will have access to log in and get the the video without all of the the uh, self-study CPE that goes with it. So they'll have access if they need it sooner. But I'm going to tell you that the neat thing about it is if you're going to do this, you will get a CPE certificate. You get that to us. We'll upload it to the IRS and you'll get it right away. You'll, we'll upload it as you go along. But it is expensive. And because we do have to put so much work, it costs us a substantial amount to, to produce a self-study version of this. Um, what I do recommend instead is Lambers has a different self-study version that is specifically focused on just passing the exam. So I recorded it for the last few years and Jason is helping to fill in the gaps for this year. So we're going to have kind of a team thing out of that. That version is going to be ready by, by May or June and that will be complete. So somebody who wants to do self-study and do it all at one time and not have to wait six months for the whole class to, to happen, um, I recommend that you do that instead. You know, so that may be a much easier version. If you need to do that, just ask me and I'll give you the link to that. Um, study tips. Everybody has a different way of learning. And one of the things that you are going to find out is how you learn. 
there have been students who've come to me and they've told me their teachers always treated them as though they were stupid because their learning style is completely different. Sometimes the teachers don't realize that sitting in the back of the room, he's got, you know, visual problems and can't see what's on the board or something, you know, or somebody has to be writing and teachers get all upset when somebody is writing, you know, or, or doodling while they're teaching. Some people need to do that. Some people need music. Some people need to be dancing when you're studying. Everybody has a different learning style, and I'm going to help you identify what yours is so that you can feel at home doing it, and you're doing it at home anyway, so nobody, you're not bothering anyone, so why not do your studying the way that works best for you? Some people like study. Some people like studying with buddies, and others prefer to study alone. So we're going to teach you, we're going to help you study with people. We're going to help you study on your own. You're going to have all of those different options. Some people are much better on their own, but you know what? Sometimes if you have a, a person that you have to answer to, you've got a study buddy team and you have to answer to them, they're counting on you to have prepared something, you're going to do it for them where you wouldn't do it for yourself. We have a lot of people who had nice things to say, and I am not going to read them to you. They are too embarrassing for me to read to you. One thing I will say is that people are consistent about saying they learned more from me than any other form of training. This is said over and over again, even with people who have been in practice for many, many years. They're thrilled. They're thrilled when they pass all three parts. But I also did help people get their petins, did help them get through whatever it was that they had problems with. And more importantly, I answer their questions, their, their questions about their clients, questions about how to study and everything else. And one thing that Victor said is, one of the things that I do is I try to help you see part of the reality of your client's circumstances. Sometimes you need to be kind to clients who are in trouble. And sometimes, you know, you need to give extra time to people who are old and frail and listen to people. So there are different ways of dealing with clients. And so I'm trying to teach you more about how to build a human practice with less stress and a lot of professionalism and earn a lot of money. My guarantee is if you don't pass, you get to stay in the class no matter how long it takes. You only have to pay for the updated CPE. Now, remember, you don't have to pay for Lambers or Fast Forward Academy. And if you do want Glime, I have negotiated discounts on Glime, so I have an order form if you're interested. However, and there's always a however, we will reserve the right to eject anybody if they are rude to people, if they're disruptive, if they are hostile. We have people from all over the world, people from different religions, different political you know, persuasions. Uh, it is not acceptable to put anybody down, okay? And we've only ever kicked anyone out twice in, in our history during the first year. 
I did just kick somebody out after about 10 years because it just got to me too much one day. Um, if you're making installment payments, okay, if you're signing up for installment payments, please understand your first payment just pays for all of the books and materials, the, the Lambers, the Fast Forward Academy and all of that. So your first payment doesn't pay for the class at all. If you don't make the second payment, you're out of the class. You get to keep the stuff you bought. If you make one installment payment after that, you basically have paid for part one. You'll be locked out of everything else. If you're having a problem and you're making installment payments, don't ignore the emails. Let me know. I will give you extra time. I always have. But if you ignore the emails, you will be kicked out of the class. Okay? So don't do that. The other way to, to lose your privileges is to unsubscribe from the class emails. If you unsubscribe, you are done. You don't get to come to the class again until you pay for the whole class again. So if you unsubscribe from the class emails, you basically say you don't need the class anymore. So we've got some discounts going on right now, today, all the way until the 18th. You can get that $100 bribe that I promised you, and I'll give you the, the code on the next page. Uh, if you're a family member, paid family member, you can get an additional 15% off, and that's going to be uh, good until March 31st, then it will drop to 10%. And if there's several people signing up at once, you can get a group discount. So everyone who signs up for all three parts of the premium course will get the Tax Mama book, The Small Business Taxes Made Easy. Okay. Everybody is going to get these other goodies. And if you sign up just for part two of the premium class, you'll get the book. Part one and part three don't need it. Part two, you need it for the business things. Now, the bonus for signing up today besides the $100 discount. The first five people who sign up today are going to get five copies of Small Business Taxes Made Easy. So five autographed copies of the book. The next five people are going to get the headset, not the book. They're going to get one book anyway, but they're not going to get that. And if you register today up through the 18th, the discount, my bribe to you for $100 is Eva underscore March. If you use that code, you're going to get $100 off until March 18th. After that, it's gone. So I want to thank you very much for joining me. You're going to find the replay in these three places. If you're in the school already, you're going to find it uh, in the board. You can find it on the main IRS exams.school website and at the taxmama.com site. We will be putting that up. 